Hey, Mike Baker here. Well, spring is in full swing. And for millions of folks, that means yard work and gardening. Am I right? Now, here's a pro tip for those of you looking to spruce up your landscaping. Fast Growing Trees is the largest online nursery in the U.S. They've got over 10,000 plant varieties and millions of satisfied customers. Save yourself the time and trouble of multiple trips to those crowded nurseries. You know what I'm talking about. Fast Growing Trees is a complete time saver. From fruit trees to houseplants, they have it all, and it's delivered right to your doorstep. Plus, their plant experts are always available for advice. They can tell you what grows best in your area, how to plant, when to plant. It's like having your own expert gardener. And here's the best part. This spring, they have up to half off on select plants. And listeners to the President's Daily Brief can get an extra 15% off by using promo code PDB at checkout. So go to FastGrowingTrees.com and use promo code PDB at checkout. It's Friday, December 8th. Welcome to the PDB Afternoon Bulletin. I'm Mike Baker, your eyes and ears on the world stage. Let's get briefed. Multiple rockets rained down on the U.S. Embassy compound in Baghdad on Friday in a sign that Iranian-backed militants are escalating their attacks on U.S. and coalition forces in the region. Also, MIT, Harvard, and UPenn are facing national outrage after their presidents struggled to condemn widespread anti-Semitism on their campuses. As donors pull funds and calls for resignations mount, Congress is now launching an investigation into how these schools deal with the continued harassment of their Jewish communities. But first, our afternoon spotlight. The U.S. Embassy in Baghdad came under a barrage of mortar fire on Friday from an unidentified Iranian-backed proxy group operating in the region. Now, it was the most aggressive attack yet on U.S. and coalition forces in Iraq and Syria, who have been regularly targeted by Iranian-backed militias since the Israel-Hamas conflict began. Now, officials reported minor damage to the compound's infrastructure, but an embassy spokesperson reported that there were no casualties. At least seven 60-millimeter mortar rounds landed outside and inside the U.S. Embassy compound during Friday's early morning attack. Officials said an Iraqi security agency building inside Baghdad's green zone was also damaged by the mortars. At this time, no group has taken credit for the attack. It was the first time the U.S. Embassy in Baghdad was targeted since the Israel-Hamas war broke out. Now, Iranian-backed proxy groups have carried out 78 attacks on U.S. and coalition forces since October 17th in Iraq and Syria, injuring more than 60 service members. 37 of those attacks have targeted bases in Iraq, while 41 have occurred in Syria. While there was a brief lull in activity, during the limited truce between Israel and Hamas, Iranian-backed groups have resumed their attacks with a vengeance. On Sunday, a militant group launched multiple rockets at the Ramallah landing zone in Syria, though no injuries or damaged infrastructure were reported. The U.S. also killed at least five Iranian-backed militia members in a drone strike in Iraq on Sunday, after U.S. forces received intelligence that their group was planning to target them with a one-way attack drone. Now, the counter-strike there marked the fourth limited response by the Biden administration 
to attacks by these Iranian-backed militias in Iraq and Syria. Meanwhile, Iranian-backed Houthi militants in Yemen have escalated their assaults on U.S. naval and commercial shipping vessels in the Red Sea. On Wednesday, a U.S. military official confirmed that a U.S. warship shot down an unmanned aerial drone in the southern Red Sea launched from Houthi-controlled areas of Yemen. Now, Sheikh Ali Damush, a leader of Hezbollah in Lebanon, said in remarks on Friday that attacks throughout the region by Iranian-backed groups are designed to pressure the U.S. into ending its support for Israel's counteroffensive in Gaza. The Biden administration has faced mounting criticism for their handling of these provocations, with many Republicans saying that the continued attacks show that the White House's deterrence strategy is not working. Biden has reportedly been reluctant to approve more aggressive response options, fearing such retaliations could spark a wider regional conflict with Iran. Now, there's no doubt that the Pentagon has compiled a very robust target package for the White House to consider when discussing deterrence options in response to the continued Iranian-guided provocations. To date, the counterstrikes by the Biden administration have been limited in scope and scale, and have failed if the objective was to deter further drone and missile attacks on U.S. and allied forces and infrastructure. An interesting question here is, if the Iranian regime's purpose in launching almost 80 attacks via their proxies in the past four weeks is to pressure the U.S. into ending or significantly limiting its support for Israel in the Gaza conflict, well, the question is, is that strategy working? There has been a noticeable and significant shift in rhetoric coming from the White House in recent days, with the emphasis less on Israel's right to respond and defend itself from Hamas, and more on the need for Israel to restrain their response and consider a ceasefire. In reality, that shift in narrative within the White House is likely a complex combination of factors. Increasing international pressure to limit the number of Palestinian casualties, fear of an escalating conflict, partly driven by the constant barrage of Iranian-sponsored missile and drone attacks, and domestic political pressure as Arab-American and youth voters protest against White House support for Israel. All right, coming up after the break, the backlash against MIT, Harvard, and UPenn has been swift in the wake of bizarre and slightly unhinged testimony by their leaders earlier this week in Congress. We discussed the fallout, including a new congressional investigation focused on the schools. I'll be right back. Hey, Mike Baker here. Well, once again, Pure Talk is investing in their customers out of their own pocket without charging an extra penny. Now, you've heard me talk about Pure Talk before, right? How they provide excellent coverage and service with industry-beating rates. And now, I'm happy to announce that Pure Talk is also providing international roaming to over 50 countries. That's right. As you plan your summer travel, make sure your wireless provider has you covered at home and abroad. Pure Talk already puts you on America's most dependable 5G network, but now they're giving you coverage in over 50 countries as well. Unlimited talk, text, and plenty of 5G data for just $20 a month. Look, that's less than half the price of Verizon, AT&T, or T-Mobile. Bring your phone, and Pure Talk's eSIM technology makes switching so simple. Or you can get great savings on the latest iPhones and Androids. Make the switch to the cell phone company that I know will provide you with outstanding service and value. Pure Talk. 
Just go to puretalk.com slash baker, that's B-A-K-E-R, just like you imagined, to start saving today. And when you do, you'll save an additional 50% off your first month. Again, visit puretalk.com slash baker to start saving on wireless at home and abroad. Who is there for the families left behind when a service member or first responder dies or is catastrophically injured in the line of duty? Who is helping our nation's homeless veterans? And who is helping our nation keep its vow to never forget 9-11? I'll tell you who. The Tunnel to Towers Foundation. The foundations in the line of duty programs honor our nation's heroes and their families. That includes its Gold Star, Fallen First Responder, Smart Home, and Homeless Veteran programs. The foundation's Never Forget programs engage people in 9-11 remembrance across America. Over 80 runs, walks, and climbs a year. Dozens of golf outings and barbecues. And the Tunnel to Towers 9-11 Institute is helping to educate kids in kindergarten through 12th grade about our nation's darkest day, 9-11. More than 95 cents of every dollar you donate to Tunnel to Towers goes to its programs. This charity keeps its word and honors our nation's greatest heroes. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's T, the number two, T.org. Welcome back to the PDB Afternoon Bulletin. The fallout continues against the presidents of three of America's top universities following a disastrous congressional hearing where the academic leaders struggled to condemn proliferating anti-Semitism on their campuses. In the wake of the widely mocked hearing, the House Committee on Education and the Workforce announced Thursday that they're opening an investigation into MIT, Harvard, and the University of Pennsylvania to probe their handling of harassment against Jewish students. As we covered yesterday on the PDB, the presidents of MIT, Harvard, and UPenn caused widespread outrage when they were asked a basic question regarding whether calls for the genocide of Jews violated their respective codes of conduct on bullying and harassment. Now, instead of answering with a simple and obvious yes, the three presidents equivocated on the context of the situation, arguing it would only violate their codes if the calls for genocide turned into conduct. They took their view that it really depended on the context. Now, they seemed at times bemused that the Congressional Committee would dare question their positions, and at times they seemed condescending, acting as if the committee members just weren't clever enough to understand the nuances of their sophisticated academic answers to the question, and again, the question being, does calling for the genocide of Jews constitute bullying and harassment? As an aside, the New York Times the very next day ran a headline implying that the Republican-led committee had tried to pin down the university presidents and put them on the defensive, as if they had been thrown a trick question. The Times basically took the same position as the university presidents, at least initially. It was to them all about context and complexity. By demanding a simple yes or no answer, well, the rubes on the committee were just trying to corner the elite, super sophisticated university leaders. Let me just repeat the question again that the presidents were faced with. Does calling for the genocide of Jews violate your university's code of conduct on bullying and harassment. Unless I'm missing something, it's not a trick question. It shouldn't demand any pondering or conversation about context, particularly from university folks who have spent the past several years teaching our children that words are violence, they're creating safe spaces for their feelings, and rewriting or banishing words and pronouns 
in order to keep anyone from feeling angst or discomfort. Well, it didn't take long for their video testimony to go, as the kids say, viral. As a result, Pennsylvania Governor Josh Shapiro, a Democrat, slammed UPenn President Elizabeth McGill on Wednesday, calling her testimony, quote, absolutely shameful, and asked the UPenn Board of Trustees to hold her accountable. The board quickly arranged a meeting on Thursday to discuss the fallout, and while a spokesman for UPenn said they had no plans for, quote, imminent leadership change, reports suggest the board's chair, Scott Bulk, will meet with McGill to discuss her future at the institution in the coming days. Now, the board of UPenn's Wharton Business School came to a faster conclusion, calling on Thursday for the school to remove McGill from her post. That followed a report that Ross Stevens, founder and CEO of Stone Ridge Asset Management, withdrew a $100 million donation to UPenn over McGill's testimony. In a damage control video released Wednesday, McGill clarified that she actually does understand that calling for the genocide of Jews is, quote, evil, plain and simple. Now, whether she understood that fact during her testimony or just figured it out after the backlash, well, we're just glad she cleared it up. She explained that her moral failures at Tuesday's hearing were because she was preoccupied with university policies regarding free speech and was, quote, not focused on, but should have been, the irrefutable fact that a call for genocide of Jewish people is a call for some of the most terrible violence human beings can perpetrate, end quote. If you think that sounds like a cover-your-ass response created after McGill met with her team and university communications personnel, and the gaggle probably included school lawyers and members of the team responsible for alumni donations, well, there's a chance you'd be right. Now, Harvard President Claudine Gay, well, she took a different tact when she addressed the controversy in a statement on Wednesday, blaming the backlash on people's confusion over what she was trying to say. Yeah, that's it. The folks listening just weren't smart enough to understand her. She said, quote, There are some who have confused a right to free expression with the idea that Harvard will condone calls for violence against Jewish students. She added that calls for genocide are vile and have no place at Harvard, an obvious point that she was apparently unable to make at the hearing just a day earlier. Meanwhile, MIT President Sally Kornbluth has been relatively silent amid the backlash, although a spokesman for the school said Thursday that MIT, quote, rejects anti-Semitism in all its forms and will cooperate with the Congressional Committee's investigation. Kornbluth is undoubtedly hoping that the backlash over their lack of moral clarity will focus on McGill and Gay, and she'll be able to sidestep the spotlight. Republican Representative Virginia Fox, the committee chairwoman, warned academic institutions across the country that they should also expect investigations, saying, quote, their litany of similar failures has not gone unnoticed. It's worth observing that prior to this moment, the progressives who delighted in policing speech on campus, shaming or disciplining students who failed to properly wave the woke banner of justice, are now complaining that the criticism of the university presidents could infringe on free speech on campuses across the country. It's highly likely that they won't see the irony in the situation. All right, finally, one last story for today's bulletin. It seems that you can't keep a good dictator down. Russian President Vladimir Putin announced earlier today 
during an awards ceremony that he would run for another term as president. How about that? The next elections, or what passes elections in Russia, are in mid-March this coming year. Now, Putin has served four terms as president since 2000. If he wins in March, and really, what are the odds of that not happening, then he'll continue as president at least until 2030. Putin's only 71 years old, which, by U.S. political standards, makes him a toddler. The only Russian leader to serve longer than Putin at this point is that old scallywag Joseph Stalin. He was in charge for 29 years, longer if you count his time as general secretary of the Communist Party. Putin would need to run again in 2030 in order to surpass Stalin and claim the title of Russia's top tyrant. And that, my friends, is the PDB Afternoon Bulletin for Friday, 8 December. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to me at pdb at thefirsttv.com. I'm Mike Baker. I'll be back on Monday. Until then, stay informed, stay safe, stay cool. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.